together. I want you to think about a couple of things. One, if you had a chance to ask Jesus any question, what do you think you would ask him? Because here we are in Matthew 22, and we are going to see the religious leaders, and they're going to ask Jesus a flurry of questions. This is going to be a chance for them to really get to know Jesus at this point and to ask him any question uh, that they want to ask. And, And the other thing I want you to think about in terms of how you would want to talk to Jesus and what you would ask him is also to think about, we have the religious leaders and we're in a section that we're talking about the rejection of Jesus. And I want you to think about how was it possible for these knowledgeable, well-versed religious leaders to completely miss Jesus? How would it be possible for people who knew the scriptures, who seemingly knew God and were leading people in God's ways to completely miss who Jesus is. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning in asking the question for ourselves, do we know Jesus? And the answer might be a little bit surprising based on how we look at these religious leaders and what they knew and what they come to Jesus asking. There's going to be three questions that we're going to see them asking here in in chapter 22. The, the, The first one, as we get into it, I want you to notice that These are not honest questions. In verse 15 of Matthew 22, it says, The Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him with his words. And so what we have here is how can we mess Jesus up? We're going to get him to say something wrong. We're going to trip him up. We're going to discredit him. And so we're going to ask him some questions. And when we ask those questions... That's going to nullify his influence altogether. And you really see that in this first question that is asked. Because in verse 16, I want you to listen to what they say. Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. Okay, so here's like a place of Jesus self-control, right? I mean, we we know that you are true. I'd want to say, really? (laughs) You don't act like it. All you're doing is trying to trip me up and tangle me. You are trying to just nullify me. And they come up with all of this flattery. Oh, Jesus, we know that you are true. And you speak God's truths. and, and, And we know that you don't care about opinions. This is a setup of we want to hear you not to be able to kind of ride the fence. We want you to give a very definitive answer to this question. Verse 17. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Now to us, we can read that and we can kind of go, okay, that's, you know, softball, no big deal. Of course, yes, be be done with it. It is useful to note that what, tax they are particularly talking about here is the most hated tax that the Jewish nation had. It was the poll tax. So this is not like your sales tax, your income tax. Okay, you know, you make a lot of money. You ought to give back some. You bought a lot of things. You should pay some. This is a because you exist in the empire, pay Caesar tax. That's all this is. Every non-Roman annually paid a tax 
for the existence of being in the Roman Empire. That's what this text is. And that's why they hated this one the most. It may not have been the most severe in terms of its amount, but boy, did they hate it because of what it represented. To them, it was purposeless. It just was simply to give to Caesar because you live in the empire. And they didn't like that one one bit. And that's why they asked the question that they ask. Because everybody hated this tax. And so if Jesus says, pay the tax, every Jew is going to go, meh, we don't like this guy. I mean, 20 years earlier, a whole insurrection happened in Galilee over this tax, trying to overthrow the Romans because they were so angry about having to pay for living in the empire. And so Jesus, do we have to pay this thing? And if he says yes, there goes your popularity contest. His approval rating goes to zero. And if he says no, He's an insurrectionist. He's breaking Roman law. And we can just chalk him up to yet another of who the Romans are going to have to deal with. And so Jesus' answer here is absolutely amazing. And it is rich in his depth, though it sounds very simple. But please notice what he says before he gives the answer. Verse 18, Jesus aware of their malice. Just those little windows are useful. Jesus knows what they're doing. This is not an honest question. And he's aware of what they're trying to do to him. Jesus, aware of their malice, says, why are you putting me to the test? Give me a coin whose image is on it. And then the answer that he gives in verse 21, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now, it is important to know that the word render here, it's not just simply give to Caesar what is Caesar's. It is the idea of returning, of paying back. I want you to give back to him what he has given to you. And I want you to give back, render, pay back to God what God has given to you. That's the answer that he gives. If Caesar's given you something, you give it back. And if God has given you something, you give it back. Render to him. Give back to him. This is his answer. And you get an understanding then of why in verse 22, the whole crowds go, whoa. (laughs) What an answer that he just gave right there. Because this is a key message that is found in the scriptures. This is nothing new. In fact, listen to how the Apostle Paul worded this when he spoke of this very idea and maybe even summarizing what the Apostle or what Jesus was teaching. The Apostle Paul would say, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. Now, sometimes at that point, our minds might shut off and we go, "Okay, yeah, you got to pay your taxes and pay your. But listen to where he keeps going with this. That This is not a message of just simply, all right, if you have a financial bill, make sure you pay it. Listen to what he says next. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other for the, lo- for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. This is not a text that says you can't have debt. In fact, what the text is saying, whatever your debt is, you pay it. And so, sure, pay your bills. 
But bigger than that, pay back honor. Pay back respect. Give those very things. And this is what Jesus is doing here when it comes to Caesar. Is I want you to think about the very idea. Here they are and they hate this tax. And Jesus answered, I want you to give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Pay back whatever is owed. Whatever that debt is. You know, and they, well, they would have paid for that. I have to pay back. We often don't like that. <laughs> I don't want to pay back. But the picture is that we pay back whatever is owed. Now, here's the striking thing about this. Isn't it interesting that Jesus does not put the period there and say, you know what? You just need to pay back whatever you're owed. Whatever you owe, that's what you pay back. You accrue a debt, you give it back. If Caesar says, I want you to pay something because you live in the empire, then pay it back because you live in the empire. He doesn't put the period there. Please think about then when, how he ends this by saying, I want you to give back what belongs to God. All right, well, let me ask you. What belongs to God? You can imagine as that question was dropped and Jesus gives that answer, they took a step back and went, that was not where we thought that was going. You need to pay back to God what is God's. You might remember the Apostle Paul said it this way as he was preaching to the Athenians and he told them that, that God is not far from any one of us for in him we live and move and have our existence or our very being. What do we owe God? Everything. We owe God our very breath, our very actions, our very movements. In him we live, we move, we breathe, we exist because of him. I want you to see what Jesus is doing is already starting to try to show the failure in terms of these religious leaders of why they are missing him and missing God and not understanding who he is and what he's come to do. And the first thing that he does is he's trying to get them to see you don't understand your relationship with God. You don't understand who God is. You don't understand that you owe him everything. The whole idea of trying to pay back God, what is God's, should be jaw-dropping. I mean, okay, go. Please, pay back to God what belongs to him. Where do I start? Uh, Okay. (laughs) Because that means you give your everything. Your very being. Who you are. As Dane read for us, present yourselves as living sacrifices. This is the giving of the whole self. Here they are talking about, you know, I don't want to give back these things that I have been given. And here God is going, you seem to not understand that you are a debtor in every area of your life. There is not any spot in our lives that you can't point to and say, that needs to be paid back. Because it's all God's. And that's why the Apostle Paul would say, so don't owe anyone anything but love. You live a life of just paying it back. You're just giving back to God in everything that you do. They missed this. They completely missed who God was. And again, I want you to be thinking about how could religious leaders just miss all this? 
Now let's look at the next question. Notice how they, they rally the troops and try again. Verse 23, the same day the Sadducees came. Now these two groups do not get along. These are your two primary religious groups who absolutely are argumentative to each other. They are like red and blue against each other. They are not friends whatsoever. Pharisees try and crowds are astounded. Woo, got you on that one. And now the Sadducees go, our turn. We have something that's going to get him. And I want you to notice what we're told in verse 23 about this, this religious group. The Sadducees, they do not believe in a physical bodily resurrection. That is their point of view. And so they have come up with what they believe the best way to prove that there is no way for a bodily physical resurrection. Here it is. They use the law of Moses and say this. The law of Moses said, if the husband died, it was the obligation of that husband's brother to marry that wife under the old law to provide for her so that she would have offspring to take care of her. So here's what they do. All right. Husband one dies, marries the brother. That brother dies, marries the next brother. That brother dies, marries the next brother. Seven times. I mean, the brothers at this point would have to be just nervous of this woman. Seven times you marry this woman. That die, that one dies, that one dies, that one dies. And then here's the big question that they have in verse 28. So in the resurrection, who's she married to? Had seven husbands. And you see what they're saying? That proves there can't be a resurrection. Say that this can't be possible. How could it be that she would have seven husbands? What could be the possible answer to all of this? Listen to what Jesus says in verse 29. Jesus answered them, you are wrong. Now, sometimes Jesus is direct. You got this one way, way wrong. Why are they wrong? Look at verse 29 still. Because you do not know either the scriptures or the power of God. I want you to think about that answer for a minute. He just told the most revered group, the Sadducees, they were the primary ones in charge of that Sanhedrin council. He just told them, you don't know the Bible, nor do you know the power of God. Now, friends, if anybody should know this, it's them. If anybody should know who God is, it's them. If anybody should know the scriptures, it's them. They could spin rings around people knowing the scriptures. They could certainly tell you, and all we can tell you about the works of God and how he brought us out of Egypt and all the mighty works that he did. Well, we know the power of God. And I think it is so interesting to think about the idea that there are people who are able to know the scriptures and not know the scriptures. That's something. He says, you think you figured it out. You haven't figured anything out. You know those words backward and forward, and yet you're wrong. And not only are you wrong, you don't even understand God or his power. 
In fact, the answer that he gives there in, in verse verse 30, where he, he, he says, therefore, in the resurrection, they are neither Mary or are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Please note, that doesn't say we're all angels. Like every cartoon I grew up with, you die and you're floating on wings. Not what he said. <clears throat> we're like angels. What does he mean by that? It's going to be a whole different thing. A whole different world. We can't even begin to comprehend what that world is like. To say it another way, you can't take the way we understand life in this world with all of its physical things and apply it to eternity. It ain't going to work. That's what they were doing. Well, you know, you're married and you're married and you're married. Well, that's just going to make a mess in heaven, right? And he goes, oh, <laughs> you just don't even begin to understand the scriptures, nor do you begin to understand the power of God. And here's his point with that. As he says there in verse 32, God said Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he didn't say I was the God of them, but I am. Do you understand the power of God? And now please think about this. How many times would they have read in the scriptures, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, I am the God of Jacob, and missed the subtle but clear point that they must still be alive and with God to say I am and not I was. But you know, I hope you'll think about as much as we can be like, I can't believe that you would not understand the scriptures or the power of God. I know you're with me on this. How many times have you read something and you've read it and you read it and you read it and maybe you grew up in the pews and you've heard it and you heard it and heard it and then one day you read it again and you go, how did I miss that? <laughs> It just all of a sudden just pops off the page and you go, I've read that for years and never seen it says it right there. I have like a long list of those things. I mean, it's just a huge, huge list of all of these. Like, how did I miss that? And I want us to just think about how they failed to understand the scriptures. They failed to understand the power of God, even though they thought that they did. Not only did they think that they knew the scriptures, but did not know them. I want us to think about how it is possible to think that you know God and you don't. And I hope that's kind of scary. That it is possible to have such a confidence of, oh, I know God. And I know what this says. And be wrong. That's what he told them. They're coming up to him and go, we got this bodily resurrection figured out. There's no way there is. And here's our illustration that nobody can break. Nobody can beat this one. And he just goes, you're wrong. You don't know the scriptures. You don't know the power of God. And friends, this is the why it is so important to know. You can't truly know God unless you know the scriptures. Please let that hit. You can't know God unless you know the scriptures. There's no other path. There's no other direction. The only way is that you're going to know the word of God and that's going to cause you to know God. Unfortunately, what too often happens is we think we know God because of what everybody else has said about God. But don't read it and see what it actually says. And here's the bad part about that. And then it becomes like a puzzle and you start realizing you have a pile of pieces that don't belong in this box. You got all of this information, all of the things that people have told you. And you realize that doesn't say that that's not here. 
There is a, a responsibility on our part to n- truly know God and know what the scriptures say. And if you're newer here, you might wonder, why do I always preach the way that I do? This is one of the big reasons why. Because it is frightening to have a group of people and think we all just know God and not know him. And to think we know the scriptures and not know it. And there's only one way to make sure that we know the scriptures and know God. And that's to get right here and read it. There's no other path. And who cares what I think and say? Da, 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 da. We need to just read it. We got to go line by line. So that we know God, know the power of God, and know the scriptures. Because that's the only way it's going to happen. And friends, they read it, and 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 missed it, and missed it, and missed it, and missed it. And we need to be so thoughtful about are we doing everything we can to know God. And know who he is ultimately is in fact it is interesting that this comes up in verses 41 through 46 i'm not going to have time to touch that paragraph but jesus is going to ask them about a question and ultimately the question is how did david call his son lord and they go we don't know and it's like well you haven't thought about that how many times we just read over something And not slow down and go, wait a minute, that's something to think about. In fact, he gets them so good there in verse 46. Notice it says, and no one was able to answer him a word. And from that day on, no one dared ask him a question. (laughs) We're done. (laughs) We're just done. There's no way. Because he's challenging them and going, you should know this. Doesn't that make you wonder what our Lord would say to us if you were to walk in and go, you should know this. Do you know this? this? It's been here the whole time. It's been here the whole time. But let me show one more here. Because there's one more question. Verse, verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that the Sadducees had been silenced. Okay, so the Pharisees fail back in verse 15. And now the Sadducees fail in verse 23. The two come together. That, I mean, okay. In verse 34, we can't appreciate the two coming together. Again, that's like if our country ever decided red and blue to ever work together. Never going to happen. And you'd read this and go, oh, Pharisees and Sadducees, never going to happen. Except right now. They come together and they go, all right, we're going to get them this time. Verse 35, lawyer asks a question. Teacher, what's the great commandment in the law? What's the most important? And he says there in verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. It is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments. Depend all the law and the prophets. I want you to think about What an interesting question, but what an amazing response. Now, here again is an answer that if you've grown up in the pews, you've heard this answer. You can probably just rattle it off. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Who hasn't heard it? Who doesn't know it? The two great commands. If I were to simplify it, love God and love people. That's it. In fact, it's so important that Jesus says, Everything that was ever said by God 
hang on those two principles. It's all about loving God and loving people. And everything that God ever said was an expression, an explanation, a teaching, or a command about those two things. It is all about that. They didn't seem to get that. But he's driving at that. Now, let me, let me step into this for a minute. One of their big failures was to not get that idea. That everything that they were supposed to be doing was to funnel to loving God and loving others. That everything that God was commanding was about those key truths. And that's why I asked you early on and thinking about, so how exactly do you think that they were able to miss Jesus? How did they miss who he was? And so much of it is not seen that all of this was pointing to him. Here's Jesus going, here's why you're totally missing everything. One, you don't know the scriptures. One, another, you don't know the power of God. Three, you don't even seem to understand that we owe God everything. You missed all the basics when you read the scriptures. You went through it and you saw all these things. You memorized it. You were aware of the wording. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you missed everything. And this is something that Jesus was going to try to get us to get. As they didn't see that Jesus ultimately shows us everything about God. When Jesus is on the earth, you are seeing everything about God. Here's how, here's how Jesus really got to him with it. Here's how he said it in John 5. He told the Pharisees, you study the scriptures thoroughly because you think in them you possess eternal life. I've always read that and went, well, aren't they right? Isn't eternal life in the scriptures? Well, yes and no. That depends on how you're reading. (laughs) It depends on what you're getting out of it. Because knowing the scriptures to know them isn't going to work. It is these same scriptures that testify about me. Here's the thing. You read them thoroughly. And you missed the most obvious thing. That it was all pointing to Christ. You missed that the only way to have life is in him. Let's take the second command as an example. Jesus said it this way. New commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. All right, that's the second command, right? Love love God, love others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? If I were to ask for everybody, we're we're loving God and we love people, right? Everybody pray the right hand. Yep, we love God, love people. Please listen to what Jesus said. Just as I have loved you, you also love one another. Well, maybe I'm, (laughs) all right, maybe loving others is not exactly as good as I thought I was doing there. What I want you to see is Jesus is showing the very expression of what it means to love God and love others. 
And amazingly, they're staring at Jesus, who is the very representation of God himself, as Hebrews 1 says. He's the very light. They're staring right at him. And they don't see God. And here's Jesus going, well, okay, let me, let me try to express it like, like, like this. <laughs> uh, do you see how I love people? That's what it means to love others. And do you see how I love the Father? That's what it means to love the Father. Friends, loving God is displayed in Christ in that he gave everything to do the will of the Father. Let me scamper and backtrack to the taxes question. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar and give back to God what is God's. Jesus got that. He showed it. He does the will of the Father, lays down his life. Whatever the Father wants, that's what he does. How's he doing loving others? He gave his life. He is the very display of God. Friends, we cannot read the scriptures and not see Jesus because Jesus shows us who God is and the very power of God. That was the argument Jesus is making. You search the scriptures thoroughly and you missed me. And so he tells them, you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. And I want to ask you this morning to please truly get to know Jesus. Because it is so easy to sit here and think, I know Jesus. I know. Love God, love others. Got it. Good. High fives all around. Let's go home. We love God and love others. We're doing great, right? And we think we know him. But I do want you to think about if you were to come up to Jesus and ask him a question, would he turn around and say, you don't even know me. You don't even know the power of God. You don't know what was written about me. How could you not know these things? And I submit to you, it's a whole lot easier than we think. It's a whole lot easier than we think to completely miss God, to completely miss who God is and what he is doing for us. Our love for God and our love for others can only increase if we get to know Jesus. And we can only get to know Jesus by seeing him in his word. It's the only way. And friends, he deserves so much more of our time. He deserves so much more of our energy. He deserves so much more of our effort. He deserves so much more of our lives. And I will ask, what will you give him in your time? What will you give him for your worship? What will you give him in terms of your love? What will you give him in terms of your life? Jesus just simply said, here's all I ask you to do. I want you to render to God what belongs to God. And if you'll do that, you'll be well on your way. Let's go to God in prayer.
Oh, Heavenly Father, your Son truly convicts us with these words. And Lord, I, it is so easy for us to think that we've, we've got it figured out. And Lord, I pray that we would come to know you in a way that you truly want us to know you, that it would not be superficial. But help us to know you in a way that we would just love you and appreciate you and give our lives to you, that we would just be in awe of who you are and what you've done for us. And that we would want to give our time and our praise and our efforts and our very lives and our love to you and everything because we see what you've done for us. Help us to see you in that light. Help us to come to know your power and help us to know your word because it is through your word that we can draw close to you. And Lord, help us to see your son more clearly. And God, I pray that you would forgive us when we have not loved you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. That, Lord, you truly ask of us to just simply pay back what you have given to us. And, Lord, we acknowledge that we owe you everything. Forgive us for when we have not been willing to give it back. And, Lord, forgive us for when we have not loved others like you have loved us. Forgive us of it and help us to do far better looking to your son as the example of what it means to love each other. Help us to do it, Lord. Forgive us for our past failures and strengthen us as we go forward to know you, to know your power, to know your son, and to know your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing an invitation song and we invite you to come to this Jesus who is desperately wanting you to know him. The whole essence of those responses that Jesus is giving to them is you were supposed to know me. You were supposed to come to know me. I want relationship with you. Uh, I don't want surface knowledge. I don't want you to know a few random facts and sit in a pew. I want you to come to know the father. And that's what Jesus was trying to get them to understand. And it's our invitation to you this morning. Can we help you come to know God, to know his power, to know the glory of the resurrection in that you would give your life to him and have your sins washed away and raise up with him to walk a new life free from sin. We want you to be able to do that today. If you say, you know, it's been surface level, I don't know a whole lot. We would love to help you. Talk to Dan, talk to me, talk to someone next to you. Say, you know what, I need to get more active in Bible study. I'd like to get to know God better. We're here to help you with that. Would you just let us know how we can help you? Talk to us afterward or come forward now while we stand and while we sing.